Once upon a time, there were millions of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and lived the lives they deserve. Because of that, founders live lives of abundance, freedom, and creativity. That's what I'm really all about. Hello, my name is Aziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa with no opportunities, just sheer hard work, to failing multiple startups yet learning a whole lot to barely escaping alive the war in Ukraine, even living as an illegal immigrant, I've lost everything twice, and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day, sharing the wisdom of luminaries I've interviewed on this podcast from Google executives to Amazon, Microsoft, Forbes Technology Council, Harvard, Goldman Sachs, Financial Times, and even a priest from the Vatican Church. Everyone is welcome here. So let's begin. My guest today is Geir Christian Carlsen. Geir is a serial entrepreneur from Norway that has created several technology companies in Norway, the USA, Slovakia, and Serbia with an industrial exit in HR software. He is the founder and CEO of Upsco Inc. His specialty is in business software, technology outsourcing, and cybersecurity with more than 20 years of experience in the technology field through Upsco, a cybersecurity company headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri in the USA. Gear is a member of World Economic Forum, Tech for Integrity Initiative, and has won several international awards. He also holds a number of board and advisory roles in DigiQuip, ImageLease, Annex Investments, Messier Global Corporation, USAKO, group and Absco. Gear, how are you today? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. I'm glad to join you guys. Thank you again. I'm lucky, I'm happy, I'm glad to have you here. And to begin with a question that is both sound and specific, but it's really, really big. What do you see when it comes to entrepreneurship that many entrepreneurs who fail or who only succeed once but they cannot repeat it do not see? Uh, I think that uh, every entrepreneur, you know, is uh, kind of a brave soul. Uh, I think that you always should uh, try to achieve your dreams uh, and you always try to solve a problem. Uh, what I see in entrepreneurship is very, very at least important uh, that I think that many of of those who are successful entrepreneurs is doing is that they're building a product that is really a need. And when you think about that, I think that you should build uh, your product with a customer. If you always do that, you will take away a lot of the risks involved with uh, founding ship. Because actually, if you look at the founding or failing reasons, one of that most common is actually that they don't build a product that it's maybe a need, but nobody want to pay for it. Thank you. So if I understood you correctly, it's there is a priority when it comes to people's budgets on the problems they will spend to solve. 
So there are things that they want to solve, but they're not a priority. So the money will go on to higher priorities and there'll be nothing left for it. And if you begin your company trying to solve a need that is not a bleeding neck, as some marketers call it, where there is urgency, there is real uh, pain behind it, then your company will not succeed or will be a big, big struggle in order to do so. And therefore, the ability to know, to test the market, to understand the clients and find their biggest priority needs is somehow the secret of entrepreneurship success. Did I understand correctly? I think uh, at least it would minimize your risk, right? A lot. So, so uh, because it's, uh, it's like, it's all about actually building a need that somebody wants to pay you for, right? And, and uh, if you're not going to build it this way and also then maybe adjust it, you know, with the client, it's so much better to actually get the next client. And then it's all about execution and distribution. So I would have at least, especially, for example, I have a lot of experience in the B2B field. I would also then look for partnerships because you need distribution. And um, all in all, it always takes longer uh, than you uh, than you expect. And uh, of course, you need to be then in the market to play it. But I think that you will take away a lot of the risk if it's a need. And if you work it with a, with a client that is willing to pay for that product when it's ready, and then just you work as hard as you can to get that clients happy. And then after that, generate partnerships for distributing your product in a very efficient way, then you will be probably more likely to have success. But it's always, I mean, nine out of 10 founders will fail, right? You know, so it's it's important that you understand the risks about funding. But of course, in the end, also, uh, I always admire founders that is trying to live from their dreams, you know, because you need that. That's the visionaries that will bring the future forward. Thank you. And on a more personal note, since you mentioned nine out of 10 founders will fail, as a serial entrepreneur, do you feel or at least know how to deal with the pressure of having to succeed every time where people will expect your next project or anything you're involved with to be something like having the Midas touch and if it goes in a good way but not in an impressive way they are somehow disappointed and expect too much out of anybody who has serial positive results or how do you deal with it how is it is it even a part of your psychology? Yes, of course, it's a part of the psychology because it's um, it's always very hard. I mean, when you have a new venture, is um, is uh, is actually a new venture. So I think that you need to. I mean, you are a bit wiser since you had uh, done it before. You had an exit, so of course, that at least it take away a lot of your risk. So you know a lot about. What do you say that the the errors that you can make? So you probably are a better founder. But it doesn't mean that you need to succeed. It's uh, what I experience is that it's a it's a, it's a lot of ups and downs, and it's uh, sometimes you can sit almost with a glass of wine and wonder why did I just didn't I just take a corporate uh, job? Uh, so it's always a new venture. So that was a it's an interesting thing. So I, I I'm not sure that I will build so many uh, more companies after Absco, but uh, definitely wanna. 
more taking in advisory roles and maybe board roles and uh, and go more into that and and hopefully also investing uh, in founders and uh, uh, because it it takes a it takes a live you have to live that founding that you you know you need to be passionate you need to go for your dreams you need to you know and you're living it twenty four seven so it's also very hard to live with you you know so when you have family <laughs> founding businesses is not for family so. I know that uh, my family has uh, has suffered a lot, uh, and also my kids uh, in a later stage here has suffered a lot because I'm a founder and available 24-7. Thank you. That's really interesting. And I know you mentioned that you're unlikely to keep new, uh, starting new projects or new startups after AppSco. But now in a world where there is so much possibility the metaverse is opening up ai all those kinds of technologies if you now were starting again you had all your capital free and you were excited to start a new project as a new entrepreneur how would you go about it what sector would you focus on would you still be in cybersecurity or uh, you know software for b2b or how would you approach it? Where do you see the biggest new opportunities? I think you mentioned one. I think the metaverse is really interesting. Uh, I think it's going to be very, very big. Uh, and that's definitely if you can do some things within the metaverse, have some good ideas that is going there. Uh, I think that uh, blockchain technologies, um, also a little bit where I'm headed now in cybersecurity space, it's an interesting also where you have the metaverse in combination with AI and quantum computing. So I'm anxious, like what, how, what, and how does quantum computing is going to affect us in the future, and how will, will that be? Uh, the very interesting ways. Since I know that, for example, like Google is having a almost like the, it was an article now for conscious AI. So it's going to be. Pretty interesting spaces. When you think think of fields, I think cybersecurity is one of the biggest ones. Um, but um, other than that, it will be a lot of opportunities. I think in med tech, uh, food tech, also. I think that um, unfortunately, I think uh, people needs to have uh, better food technologies that will be in the future, so everybody can be actually. Have, have food on their table. Uh, we see that's going to be shortages. And of course, to generate enough food, I think energy is very, very important. Uh, it's some initiative to infusion energy and things like that. So it's going to be probably very big if they can do it, or at least other ideas, um, you know, uh, exploiting the sun and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think to diversify, but definitely medical technology, food technology uh, field, um, of course, everything with metaverse and uh, and AI, quantum computing. I mentioned a couple of them. I think that's interesting field to be in. And uh, hopefully also even the next, uh, I will say, social media network, uh, for example, I think that we need to own our own data. Uh, that's going to be very interesting play uh, and potentially into the metaverse as well. Uh, it's some blockchain initiatives that I think will be very, very big in in that field. 
Thank you. I love this very much. And I believe, look, a lot of new entrepreneurs and founders say, I'm spending so much time building my product, finding product market fit. I don't have time for networking. I don't have time to know people. It's really you're expecting me to have 500 hours in a day and I'm already overwhelmed and almost burning out. Well, how important is networking for you? Do you feel it should be a top three priority? How do you believe people build relationships when it comes to business? And well, how did that help you become or get advisory um, roles on different boards, etc. So can you speak about that from your experience? How important is networking? What is the right and wrong way to do it? And how are relationships built? And do you have like a story of big doors that were open to you because of knowing people? Yeah, I mean, networking needs to be one of the top priorities because I think that the relation, the best relationship is always personal, right? And um, the better uh, partners or those who works in the in the partners or in the groups or in the corporations uh, know you uh, and that you can uh, stand for it and also stand for it with integrity. I think that's very, very important um, to have integrity and not thinking short-term. Thinking long-term, uh, be honest, uh, it will always gives you further. Uh, and uh, when you do that with the networking, I think that to create a personal relationship, if you can do it, it always will take you longer because then they know you. Right. And then you need to also, yeah, have that integrity, maybe go out and I think network also by taking some dinners, learn to know the people. I think that if you are very wealthy, right, you want to create a relationship to a very wealthy person. I think that you need to understand that this person is approached with, you know, hundreds of ways, for example. And uh, you need to understand that he has hundreds of opportunities. So the only way that you can build that relationship, I think, is being honest and actually not being all, always thinking that you're going to exploit something or, you know. So if you are personal with that person and you can only be you, right? And somebody likes you, somebody not. It's, it's, it's how it is in the world. And... Uh, I think that then you need to just think about these things that these opportunities doesn't come to you by just like, okay, he's go going to be down and he's going to give me, uh, you know, $10 million, you know, it's, it's not going to happen that way. You know, everybody is, uh, uh, who is uh, high net individuals, they have, uh, amazing opportunities. Uh, and if you want to, uh, as a person like that to go with you, you need to be trustworthy. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, any person will will cherish the highest. So that's how I see that with, with the networking, that you need to go out, network, build personal relationship. It's the only way where you can really, really, uh, I think, be, be successful in that relationship. Thank you. And there are some thinkers who speak about the world in terms of randomness, where they say, Randomness doesn't look random, that it comes in streaks where you see someone and you say, wow, they have a hot hand. They have like three or four startups that are amazing. 
But what happened is that it was luck in many ways. And therefore, after that, things will return to the mean or to the average. And they're likely to have three or four failures. And some people might fail three or four times and then later on get a lucky streak. And that it's not really a plan or a unique style of management that is behind it all. Do you agree with this thought? How important is luck in your perspective when it comes to business success? And do you have some spiritual or metaphysical belief about how life works or how success and luck happens? Uh, Interesting question. Uh, I'm not sure that I actually believe in luck. I think that you need to think correctly. Uh, So I'm not sure that it's all luck. But yes, it it is about the timing, right? And uh, many people that I actually met was in a was in a bar uh, and uh, that we created relationship to <laughs> to just like talking you know um, and um, also some others it's um, you know that like that that you are that you met them maybe at a timing that you couldn't see so it of course I mean them you can say that the universe is about thoughts and action and 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 um, yeah, and you need to like, okay, you need to drive it as well, right? So you need to then build it. But yes, I mean, sometimes it it can look like luck also. Uh, but I believe that it's more that you maybe are on the right place to the right time. And that can seem like luck as well. I don't know if I explained that well, but uh, I believe it's very important, that said, to think correctly. I think that... You need to always envision where you want to be. So I think that if you not like meditate, but you you just like think in the way that you see yourself, for example, very successful. And sometimes the universe just try to make it in terms of your thoughts, if you can, uh, if you're with me on that one. Thank you. And then can you define it? What does it mean to think correctly and if we don't know if we're, we'll meet the right people in the right time for them and for us, etc., then what is your approach? Do you try to wait and build something perfectly over time? Uh, what I mean is, let's say, the plan or content or whatever. Or do you go for more like Gary Vee or uh, Grant Cardone where you create 100 okay things because you're trying to find people at the right place and right time. And therefore, quantity is more important for to do that rather than smaller number of high quality. What's your perspective on this? I think that it's, a, it's very important that you, that you try and try to reach out. I think that if you set yourself some goals and then ask yourself, okay, how... Can I retrieve that? You know, let's say that you want to be a standard in some market. If you want to be that standard, okay, how do I get there? And then figure out maybe multiple ways to actually achieve your goal and your vision of the company, right? So if I'm going to be standard in in in, in HR that I built also uh, before, uh, I need to see, okay, how can I get there? Okay, I need to, for example, have partners in within the accounting field. I need to have, you know, because they have relationship with the clients. I need to then uh, start to uh, 
to think that, okay, could it be like a system integrator? Could it be a managed service uh, clients? How can I achieve, you know, my goal so I can get the distribution out for my product? So, because that's what I said earlier, distribution is one of the keys, you know, uh, of that. Uh, so, so I don't believe that you should just do only one approach, you know, because if that fails, you know, you're, you're, you're back to where you started. I think that you need to think, okay, which one can get me there and at least like see which kind of horse is going to, you know, did I hit correctly. So I don't think that you should only go with one. Uh, and, um, yeah, I think that that's probably kind of important that you don't do it that way, that you like go with one back to that. When I think that when you, when you, time of time to market, uh, when what you mentioned there, I think that the LinkedIn founder said is that, you know, if you have a, a perfect product, you know, you, you probably launch too late, you know, you need to be out there. I think that the speed of today's founding activities is going faster and faster, especially in the software world. Uh, that's why you need to be out there and playing in a market. And so the timing there is kind of important. And it's like, maybe if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you probably launched too late, right? You know, that that's one of the messages of some very, very highly successful founders. And, uh, and you see it, you know, time after time. I mean, I love Elon Musk, for example. And I don't think that his first cars, you know, were perfect, for example. They, they were they were good, but they were not, were not perfect. And he had also a lot of production problems. And he said it's one of the hardest things he, he, he did. He was actually was sleeping at the plant to fix them. So um, I think that you need to be then in a the market to play it. And uh, I'm not sure that you should have only one <laughs> approach to, uh, to get there. Thank you. Then when you're doing that, when do you know it's time to give up on any approach? Because if you give up too soon, that is not persistence. But if you stay too late, you're wasting time and being stubborn. So when, like, what is your decision-making process for when to give up on an idea, on an approach, on a horse, on a company? In this way, you just... I mean, it, it, it doesn't make sense to follow up a person, for example, who doesn't want contact with you. Of course, you need to be persistent and maybe ask him if it's a good time, because if it's not a good time, okay, maybe circle back, you know? Uh, and then I think that you need to have some persistence, but, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's not ready uh, for, let's say, you or your product, you know, you, and then try to figure out why. Why, you know, is it my product? You know, go always back to the product or what, you know, your idea and saying, okay, is it, that's why I said earlier, you take a lot away when you figure out that it is a need, you're building your product with a customer. Because if you do that, you know, you will take a lot away the risks. And if you know that that client can be successful and implement that one and they are paying for your product, okay, find similar ones. Right, because then it's probably the same problem that they have, so they should be interested. If they are not interested, it's wrong timing. Okay, maybe circle back, you know. So, um, and then see if you can get a customer two, three, four, five. You know, okay. Uh, and if you are successful, you will learn, and then you adapt, right, during that process. So try also to learn 
what is the unique selling point and what is the trigger also for them to maybe take the meetings with you and to actually sign up, you know, uh, for your product or um, go ahead with uh, even even investment is uh, is kind of the same thing. It's about a sales process, right? So have a tool, learn the process and try to figure out uh, also the key metrics. What is the unique selling points? What is, you know, how how can I acquire a customer? And um, what is the trigger? You know, you need to figure them out. And it can be, and it's also changing, right? So, I mean, founding business is not like a straight road. It's actually a, a, a quite bumpy. So you need to learn, adapt, and go other ways. And that's what I also even did with Absco. I, I didn't, uh, you know, you don't succeed always in the first thing. Okay, then you keep your persistency and saying, okay, how can I find a way where I can actually drive success? Thank you. And since you're mentioning Absco, can you speak about it? What is it if somebody who is your ideal client is watching or listening? Where can they go to learn more? As well as, can you speak about how Absco is a member of Tech for Integrity by the World Economic Forum? How that happened? What's the story behind it? What does it mean? And did you do it on purpose, searching for this? Or uh, how was that created? Uh, I didn't uh, do it on purpose. I I was actually through Citibank uh, earlier in the States where um, that initiative, they had a Tech for Integrity initiative that actually there was kind of adopted into the World Economic Forum. Uh, and then I wrote some articles there uh, that um, especially about warnings of the future, I think, in cybersecurity space uh, that I am uh, a little bit worried about. Uh, and of course, that's uh, about the passion as well that I have in Absco at the, at the moment is I created basically Absco as an HR and IT platform and they can go to absco.com and, and sign up and and um, and try it out. At the same time, my real, really passion has been uh, quite some time, and that it's in the works right now, is that I'm building Absco Token. Uh, it's a tokenized security model where basically I'm uh, giving you the key to your data, uh, and I really believe that's very, very important to the, to the future, um, even the future of democracy, because... Um, if you can call a democracy a democracy, it's a, but that's a not, probably another post podcast. But um, I think that it's very important that people start owning their own data. Uh, and uh, uh, into that, that's also a, a, a tech, um, a kind of tech integrity initiative because um, if we don't start to own our own data, and also security in a different manner, even in a business-wise, um, it's uh, going to be quite uh, problematic, I think, uh, going forward. And uh, also that um, data privacy is also uh, then coming into the play here. Uh, so I, th- I really believe that the data should be decentralized more and that the data should be owned by you, in some extent, of course, we will accept to give that data away, for example, to Google and other companies. It's, I think it's, um, it's definitely needed. But 
need more visibility as well on how that data is used and, and things like that, because it's quite advanced kind of AI and algorithms behind that story. Thank you. And before you finish and we finish, I really have a question I'm curious about. Why did you choose to headquarter your company in the United States and not anywhere else in the world? Uh, I th <laughs> First, I had it actually established in Norway, where I'm from. Uh, but then uh, I got into a cybersecurity accelerator. So that's... And they wanted to invest in U.S. companies. And so I flipped the holding company to a U.S. Uh, Delaware company. Um, that said, uh, I really honestly like the, the, the U.S. terms for businesses. It's, um, if you can think about that 70% of the venture capital is actually in United States, and it's the biggest market also, I think, for IT and, and security companies. So I really believe in the U.S. market uh, as well as, of course, the Nordics and the European that I know. But uh, I think that also if you're going to be having partnerships in the U.S., you need to have a U.S. corporation. Uh, simple as that. Uh, but uh, it, it is a lot of uh, other initiatives that I think can, can be good. It's, it's a lot happening also in the UAE and MENA region. Uh, that's a growing region. Uh, so it uh, definitely don't need to have maybe a U.S. corporation always, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, you need to recognize that you will get higher valuations. And if you're successful in the American one markets, for sure, that will drive um, a very competitive one. But it will, it will for sure drive success. Thank you so much, Gary. This was truly educational and insightful. I thank you for everything. I will make sure to include your LinkedIn and the Upsco website and the episode description. And I wish you to keep going. You're doing fantastic things. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh, and uh, always, uh, always go for your dreams. Mm -hmm.